Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. Parking at SFO is easy when you book online. You can choose dates and times in advance and secure the best rates to make your departure stress-free. Learn more at flysfo.com parking. Support for KQED Podcasts comes from Star One Credit Union, now offering real-time money movement with instant pay. Make transfers and payments instantly between financial institutions, online or through Star One's mobile app. Star One Credit Union, in your best interest. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Californians, especially with connections to Israel and Gaza, are bracing for more violence and destruction and a death toll that's certain to rise. The Israeli government has mobilized some 360,000 soldiers as it prepares for a major offensive, including a possible ground invasion, in response to the weekend massacre of Israeli civilians near the Gaza Strip. With a death toll now surpassing 2,000, including more than 1,000 Palestinians, after Israel launched retaliatory strikes that have also taken out hospitals and mosques in Gaza, the enormity of the situation is coming into focus. Tell us how you're processing it all. Forum is next. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Synagogues and mosques in California have stepped up security, especially in Los Angeles, home to the second largest Jewish community outside of Israel, over concerns of hate-motivated violence after Hamas launched its horrific surprise attack on Israel and after Israel responded with unrelenting airstrikes in Gaza. President Biden said yesterday U.S. agencies are monitoring domestic threats. There is no place for hate in America, not against Jews not against Muslims, not against anybody. We reject, we reject, what we reject is terrorism. Biden also sought to capture the anguish Americans are feeling as the horror unleashed and the casualties have become clearer. Today, Americans across the country are praying for all those families that have been ripped apart. A lot of us know how it feels. It leaves a black hole in your chest when you lose family. Feeling like you're being sucked in the anger, the pain, the sense of hopelessness. This is what they mean by a human tragedy. Listeners, how have you or someone you know been affected by this tragedy? What are your questions, your concerns about what's happened or about what's to come? You can email forum at kqed.org, post on our social channels at KQED Forum, and you can always call us, 866-733-6786. On the line now is Manny Yucatil, owner of the restaurant and community gathering space Manny's in San Francisco, who is currently in Israel. Manny, thank you so much for talking with us amid everything. No problem. Thank you for asking me to be here today. How how are you? C- can you walk us through what the past several days have been like for you? <clears throat> it's been an emotional and physical roller coaster, to be honest. Uh, I came here to visit family uh, my for my niece's bat mitzvah, my father's 80th birthday. And it feels like it's been a lifetime in just a few days. I spent Shabbat, Saturday, uh, Simchat Torah, which is traditionally supposed to be 
the happiest day of the year for Jews in and out of bomb shelters, watching hundreds of children scurry around synagogues looking for shelter as missiles were aiming for the area that my sisters were living in. Uh, I saw uh, a place where one of the missiles actually hit not terribly far away from where I was staying. And then I found out that there was a volunteer effort underway in Tel Aviv and decided to relocate to Tel Aviv to be of service and of use. And three blocks away from where I was staying in central Tel Aviv, my host showed me a place where another missile had actually hit a building and blown up one of the apartments. I spent the last few days uh, kind of you know, being at the center of the volunteer effort in Tel Aviv, uh, making myself useful. And it's been surreal. I mean, I would walk out of the place where we were volunteering and overhead I would hear, uh, you know, missiles being intercepted. Yesterday, I uh, decided to go back to Beit Shemesh where my family is for the kind of makeshift bat mitzvah celebration, which was just a bunch of us huddled in the living room. And on the way there, I had to stop my car and get out and run for cover as the bomb sirens went off where I was in central Tel Aviv. And so it's been dramatic, insane, intense, depressing, horrific. No. And you were describing doing some volunteer work in Tel Aviv and just the pain that people are feeling while they are doing this volunteer work, which has also at the same time sort of been humbling and inspiring to see. Can you explain what, what you mean by that? Yeah, I wouldn't actually say that the feeling and the mood in, in kind of the volunteer command center, I guess you could call it, is pain. It feels deeply inspirational to behold um, as an American. Uh, our society is so divided in America, so polarized, um, and it feels like one big family in this volunteer effort children and adults, no one actually necessarily knowing each other, but acting as one unit, helping each other. I, I saw thousands of people come together, people from all over the country coming to this area to deliver whatever they could, food, water, canned goods, clothing, baby cribs, and then all of the volunteers sorting it, getting it together, and then hundreds more bringing their vehicles and then taking these care packages and delivering it to families who've lost loved ones to the terrorists and also folks on the front lines and the thousands of soldiers who've had to leave their families and homes uh, to go uh, to be of service. And so it's been really, really beautiful to watch. Um, and then uh, so, so so that that has been wonderful. And then leaving uh, this area and being in Tel Aviv, which feels like a ghost town. Mm -hmm. I mean, where I am in Tel Aviv right now is completely silent, which is imagine like midtown Manhattan but no noise whatsoever because so many have been deployed. And that honestly feels eerie. Are you hearing anything about the prospects for your ability to return to California? Yeah. So even just now walking back uh, to the apartment, I was, it was made aware. I was made aware that there's been uh, a missile attack from the North and there's drones that are being used. And so there's now kind of real fear that Hezbollah uh, is going to be launching a front mm. from the north, um, which adds a whole nother level to this conflict. That combined with other reports that missiles are being directed at the airport uh, and that some have actually landed not terribly far from the airport. Yeah, it makes me nervous. It makes me afraid that I might never I might not be able to get out uh, and go back to America. And at the same time, um, there is a unity here and a resolve uh, that people will get through this, that we will work together to get through this. 
you know, a lot of people have asked me, how's your family, right? Because I'm here with my immediate family. And the question is strange because uh, Judaism is both a religion and a tribe. We're we're related to each other. We are all family. Uh, And so my family's not doing well because over a thousand members of my family were murdered uh, just a few days ago. But just like a family gets through things together, there's also this feeling of resolve and unity. But I don't know. I don't know exactly what the prospects are for me getting home quite yet. How are you preparing for that, if you are at all? Well, I got multiple flights because they're all getting canceled. So one is trying to and then canceling the flights that I know I'm not going to be able to get because there's an issue with people booking too many flights as well. Um, I think there was a request that people have enough food and water in their bomb shelters for 72 hours where I'm staying right now. The building doesn't have a bomb shelter in it, so I'm not really uh, working on that. But honestly, I'm trying not to think about it too much. I just want to be helpful while I'm here. So I have I've been putting my head down, showing up, volunteering. Today, I sorted through baby clothes, created cardboard boxes organize the water that was going to soldiers. Um, You know, that to me, the way I deal with situations like this, not that I've ever experienced anything like it, is to be useful, to do something, to actually be of service. And so that's my focus right now. Manny Yucatil, owner of the restaurant and community gathering space Manny's in San Francisco. Thank you for talking with us. Please stay safe. And and thank you for, for the words that I think many Californians need to hear. (laughs) Can I say one more thing? Please. I have not been on social media a lot um, recently because it's just too much and I'm here and it's, it's just, I've been trying to keep post some updates of what I'm doing, but I think it's important that folks who aren't here and aren't kind of steeped in it, understand that there is some kind of equivalency happening. I think where people are saying, you know, there's two sides and we have to fight it out. And I don't think people realize the extent of what actually has happened on Saturday which is barbarism, terrorism, genocide, literally people going into folks' homes and murdering their babies and murdering their adults. The apartment that I'm staying in right now, the reason that this apartment is available is because the person who lives here, her cousin and her husband were both murdered in their house, leaving two 10-month-old twins as orphans. And so they had to take the 10-month-olds and figure out a plan for them. So that's a very different situation than what's happening. What happened to my people, my family, was unarmed, innocent folks were murdered in their homes and kidnapped. So when we start to talk about one side versus the other, know exactly what happened to my people and to my family just a few days ago. Manny, it's important to hear your perspective, voice experience on that as you are there. And I appreciate it very much. And actually, I want to bring Janine Zakaria into the conversation, a visiting lecturer at Stanford University and former Jerusalem bureau chief and Middle East correspondent for the Washington Post. Janine, you have been covering Israel for more than two decades. And as Manny says, can you just talk about how unprecedented this attack on Israelis was? Yeah, this is the the worst uh, tragedy in Israeli history. It is the worst, the massacre of Jews since the Holocaust. It can't be overstated how horrific this is. As Manny was saying, you now have the the death toll of Israel of Israelis, primarily civilians, is up to one thousand two hundred. And to give a comparison, during the Second Intifada, 
second Palestinian uprising from 2000 to 2005. In that almost five-year period, you had 1,000 Israelis killed. And now you've had 1,200 killed um, in a 24-hour period, pretty much. And that number is still going up because there are still bodies that have not been retrieved from the kibbutzim and the towns around Gaza. And that's not counting whatever's happening with the hostages in Gaza. We don't have a sense yet of who's alive and who's dead. This attack has also been compared to the 1973 Yom Kippur War. And you have written that in some ways this is more traumatic. Why do you say that? And and do you think social media is playing a role in that? As Manny was saying, he's tried to stay off it. Yeah, it's definitely, I mean, you, you have, um, you know, people who served in the Yom Kippur War who were saying this is a thousand times more traumatic because, yes, while they were both surprise attacks, and I'm not minimizing how traumatic the Yom Kippur War was when Israel was attacked by all on all sides by its Arab neighbors um, on the holiest day of the Jewish year. But in that case, you had soldiers who were deployed to the Golan Heights, to the border with Egypt. And this is massacres of um, women, children, babies, 20 year olds at a at a dance, an overnight dance festival. Um, and you had, I mean, just, I mean, imagine a dance, a festival, like, I mean, in, in, in San Francisco where you had 260 people killed just in that one event. Mm. So it's a completely another level of trauma for the country. We're talking about what has happened since Saturday, uh, in Israel and what it could mean moving forward. We were joined by Manny Yucatil, who is currently in Israel, a San Franciscan who owns the restaurant and community space called Manny's, and Janine Zakaria, lecturer at Stanford University in their communications department. We'll have more with you, our listeners, after the break. Stay with us. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're hearing how Californians are processing and are affected by the Israel-Hamas war. And we get the latest news from Stephen Erlinger, chief diplomatic correspondent in Europe for the New York Times. Stephen, thanks so much for joining us. Of course. So one of the things that we have been hearing about is that the number of the number of Americans taken hostage 2020 Two maybe have been, 14 American citizens have been killed, maybe 2022 or so have been missing. The numbers continue to increase. So maybe if you have more updates, I'd love to hear that from you. But can you help us understand the situation, what you've learned at all about the hostages, including some Americans? 
Um, I cannot update the figures, um, but investigations are still going on. I mean, it's believed about 150 people have been taken hostage. Um, it's believed they've been spread throughout Gaza. They've been separated, um, put into places that are difficult to find, sometimes underground. But we don't know a lot about it, frankly. Um, the situation is is tense because um, it's clear Israel's gearing up for an important ground invasion of Gaza. We don't know exactly when. I don't think it's going to be forever away. Um, how big an incursion, how big an invasion that's going to be, um, how long Israel stays, uh, what it does afterwards, what kind of civilian deaths will occur, despite everyone's efforts to um, not hurt civilians inside Gaza, is anyone's guess right now it's it's a big debate and then there is anxiety about the north um, Hezbollah in southern Lebanon which is very much affiliated with Iran as Hamas pretty much is um, is very well armed and very well stocked with with um, sophisticated missiles not just rockets and the risk of course is that Israel finds itself in a two-front war um, as it did in 2006. Um, so this is, um, you know, this is where we are. It's a bit of a, a waiting game, I suppose. But in the meantime, for the people of Gaza, who are getting clobbered by airstrikes, um, it, this war feels very, very real. Yeah. Um, and speaking of which, we have seen updated statistics that say some nearly 1,100 people, this is from Gaza's authorities, have been killed and some 5,000 injured as Israeli fighter jets pummeled the region, hitting hundreds of targets, including mosques, hospitals, and schools. And of course, this is a region that has already faced dire circumstances in several areas. And I actually want to bring into the conversation Wael Bohazi, a Palestinian-American who lives in San Ramon and is a member of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. Wael, thanks so much for being with us. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I understand that you have family in Gaza. How are they doing? Not very well. I mean, uh, the uh, family members that I'm in touch with currently are physically and individually safe. Uh, but the situation is really dire. Um, it's quite horrific. Uh, we have a, uh, a bombing campaign that's more intense and a much larger scale that, that they've ever seen before. Yes, Israeli officials have said that these strikes will not be like previous ones, quote-unquote. So that is what you're hearing from your family. What are they experiencing that is very different this time around? Uh, just the intensity of it. I mean, I was uh, texting or messaging with uh, my cousin in Deir el-Balah in the, in the camp. And uh, basically, they, she said, we wake up every morning and we, we, we check is this real or not. And, uh, that we made it through this day, basically. Uh, my aunt uh, in Khan Yunus tells me, and they've said this before, you know, they have their like, Shoes, uh, scarves, um, positions, immediate positions, very handy and very close because they know they have to jump out of the building at a moment's notice. Um, this time, particularly, uh, the um, blocking of the cutting of water, electricity, um, 
uh, is 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 more cruel than previous times, and this is a, a matter of official policy by Israeli leaders. Your family, you say, have possessions at hand, ready to go at any moment, but do they know where they would go? Uh, that's uh, they wouldn't. They would run out of the building. That's their immediate, um, um, obviously, goal. Um, my aunt was uh, telling us. Um, the other day, well, yes, we have no place to go. She was responding or telling her, well, Netanyahu says everybody has to leave. Uh, and we're discussing this. And she said, of course, we have nowhere to go. And honestly, you know, we we live here or, or die standing. These are their options. I mean, I was listening to previous guests and there is the whole talk about, you know, Israelis have the option of going to uh, uh, shelters and bunkers and much better uh, infrastructures. Palestinians have been trapped in Gaza Strip for 16 years. I mean, we've had these conversations with my family and, and went through this time and time and time again. Yeah. When you first heard about the weekend attack by Hamas, what was your immediate reaction or concern? Well, shock and surprise. Um, uh, Palestinian factions have not been able to uh, inflict uh, an operation of, of this scale against Israel um, ever. Uh, also, you know, uh, breaking the fence of people that have been uh, embargoed um, for, for over 16 years and occupied for over 50 years and dispossessed for 75 years uh, was, was going to happen sooner or later. I mean, you can't trap 2,000 people, 2.3 people now, million people, sorry, yeah, uh, in this open-air prison and expect this to go on. Um, it was going to blow up. Is it hard hard to be here, to be far away? I know you've been to Gaza before. Is it hard to not be able to go there right now? I have not been to Gaza uh, in a long time, actually. I have, been, I have not been to Gaza since uh, I was 15 years old. My, my Palestinian family uh, live in Kuwait. I was born and raised in Kuwait, as many Palestinians who had, uh, who was evicted of our, of our homeland. And we had we used to visit from time to time. We haven't been able to visit in a long time. And unlike your uh, previous guest, he's able to go visit and be with his family. We have not been able to see our family in decades. Uh, Palestinians are not allowed to go visit Palestine, not without extreme difficulties. Yes, it is difficult being here and basically being worried about them, uh, looking at the news all the time, just they're horrific. Pictures and videos, piles of bodies, dead babies um, everywhere, and and that the helplessness you feel here, uh, and sometimes even some feelings of guilt. Well, while I really appreciate you coming on to share what you're going through, while Bahazi is a Palestinian American who lives in San Ramon and member of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. We also have Stephen Erling. Thank you. We also have Stephen Erlinger with us, chief diplomatic correspondent in Europe for the New York Times, reporting from Jerusalem, and Janine Zakaria, a lecturer at Stanford University and former Jerusalem bureau chief and Middle East correspondent for the Washington Post. And you, our listeners, have joined the conversation with your questions and comments. The number eight six six seven three three six seven eight six. The email address forum at kqed.org. Our social channels are at KQED Forum on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Discord. 
Beth writes, we know a family in Gaza and they want to live in peace with Israel and they are afraid to speak up against Hamas because they say if you do, you will be punished or even killed. This is why I'm so concerned about the innocent people of Gaza while understanding that Israel needs to defend itself against terrorists. Let me go to Masha in Palo Alto. Masha, you're on. Hi, Mina. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, um, it's, it's heartbreaking time. Um, I am uh, was born in the former Soviet Union and a lot of my um, relatives and friends uh, went to Israel. They immigrated to Israel in the 1980s and later to escape the anti-Semitism of the Soviet Union. And uh, my community here in the Bay Area have not been sleeping. It's been very traumatic. Uh, we've just been trying to check up on them and see if they're okay and safe. Um, my, I personally have not had anyone killed as far as I know, but I know a number of Friends here have lost family members in the attack over the weekend. I do have um, a cousin who is a single mom with four uh, children, and they're all deaf, and uh, they didn't hear the siren. Um, and they, they don't have a shelter in their home, so they tried to hide in the staircase when the neighbors finally were able to get get to them and knock on their door. So they're just not sleeping since to make sure they don't, lo- they don't miss any signs or signals again if so- something like this happens. Um, and more recently, uh, the war in, in Ukraine, um, a lot of my family and friends and the people that I know that have been seeking uh, refuge in Israel. So they came from the Russia and Ukraine, uh, people who are disagreeing with the regime and who are affected by the war. And they just found themselves right in the middle of another war, uh, hmm. which is just another terrible layer to this whole thing. Oh, Masha. Well, th- thank you for telling us about your family. And I, I really hope they remain okay, given all of the things that they are dealing with right now, and also the things that they have dealt with that led up to it. Really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you. So, Janine, can you help us understand why, or what is being reported about why this attack happened on Israel now? Um, You know, some of this is there's different whys, right? And how, and, you know, obviously this is a moment where that has been planned for, for months. It was very sophisticated in terms of the planning. Some Israeli military experts um, in the immediate aftermath were likening it to sort of a military army-like coordination, but these are old terrorist tactics um, that Hamas has used for, for a very long time. I think that, you know, as Wael said, you have the backdrop of um, the ongoing uh, blockade of the people of Gaza. And you have um, a situation where in Israel you had this political instability, especially since January, where, um, you know, half the country has been protesting every Saturday night against Prime Minister Netanyahu and his government. And there were people in the security establishment who were saying this is going to make Israel more vulnerable Um, to attacks from the outside. And that wasn't just rhetoric, as we've seen. You know, what Hamas is, I think one of the things that Israel uh, miscalculated is they think, okay, we've got Hamas fenced in, we've got that situation contained, and they wouldn't dare do this because it would basically be a suicide mission. Um, And that was obviously a miscalculation. So I think there was an opportunity to attack Israel here they saw it um, being able to do it, as M- Manny mentioned, on Simchat Torah on a Saturday morning. Um, and here we are. Yeah. Uh, Stephen, there, of course, it has been noted that Hamas did not target military infrastructure. 
I wonder what you can tell us about their motivations or strategic goals and what we need to know about Hamas. Um, complicated question. I mean, they did target military infrastructure also, it, it should be said. I mean, that was the way they broke through the barrier. They sent drones, they hit Israeli observation posts, they attacked Israeli crossings. But the fact of the matter is they then went into the kibbutzes in Israel proper and murdered hundreds of people. So this should be recognized. Yes. Hamas, you know, where do you want to start? I mean, it, it was originally part of the Muslim Brotherhood in the 80s. Israel almost helped it as a way to weaken um, Fatah and other uh, non-religious Palestinian groups. Um, but Hamas quickly turned to violence and created a, a, a series of suicide bombings in the 90s that seared Israel, turned it upside down. And from Israeli point of view, which is also true of the United States, European Union, Hamas is regarded purely as a terrorist group. But it is religiously based, and it claims that Israel is on holy Muslim land, it has no right to exist, that um, every Israeli citizen is, whether civilian or not officially, is a soldier of Israel, and hence targeted or able to be targeted. And what happened um, over the weekend um, showed a kind of bloodlust and revenge and anger, which has shocked everyone. Um, but Hamas also is seen by, you know, a number of Palestinians as having acted, as having done something in a period when Palestinians were being pushed to the side by uh, Benjamin Netanyahu's negotiations with um, the Gulf countries for the Abraham Accords and with President Biden's support negotiations with Saudi Arabia for normalization in return for a U.S.-Saudi defense treaty. Mm. The Palestinians were really kind of afterthoughts. Um, now, this was planned, as other guests have said, for a long time. And my guess is that Hamas had more success than it probably success, you can argue with that word, of course, um, than they had expected. I, I think they wanted to go get hostages, bring them to Gaza, which they've done, and try to trade them for Palestinian prisoners, both in Gaza, both from Gaza and in the West Bank, held by Israelis, because Palestinian prisoners have always been a big issue for Hamas. Now, my suspicion is Hamas has also planned for an Israeli ground invasion of Gaza. And um, I think it's going to be hellish. Janine, in terms of why they had, quote unquote, more success in their sort of horror campaign, a lot have pointed to the fact that the Israeli government and defense forces were focused on the West Bank. Do you want to add more about what may have emboldened Hamas at this time? Yeah, a shift in focus uh, to the West Bank. Um, obviously, uh, obviously, always Prime Minister Netanyahu has been focused 
on Iran and the threat from the north, from Hezbollah, which may yet materialize and maybe materializing at this moment, as Steve mentioned earlier, and and a feeling that um, Gaza, you know, we have it contained. And there is this, there is really in between these flare-ups between Israel and Hamas over the years, there's a feeling that, you know, Israel deals with it, they go in with enormous air power, and then they kind of forget about it. Um, you know, this has been going on really since Israel withdrew unilaterally from the Gaza Strip in 2005, and then Hamas took power after a, a bloody fight with Fatah, the rivals, in 2007. And since then, there's been no way to figure out how to deal with this issue of this territory that abuts Israel so closely um, that is being controlled by Hamas, which, as Steve outlined, um, rejects Israel's existence completely. So I think that there was just miscalculations. There's also some duping going on in recent weeks and months by Hamas in terms of sending signals um, in overt channels that Israel monitors, suggesting that they were not, you know, that they were not going to launch something like this. So there was just but all that said, it is just inconceivable to me and many others that Israel um, was caught off guard by this, given the level of sophistication of their intelligence capabilities Um and what was thought of as the strength of the IDF, not only in the run up to this, but we haven't even talked about the cataclysmic uh, inept response of uh, the Israeli military um, after the event started. Yeah. And I want to get to that right after the break. We are coming up on it. But I, I do want to ask you, Janine, do you feel like something has fundamentally changed in terms of Israeli sense of safety as a result of this? Oh, my God. Yes, absolutely. Complete and utter vulnerability right now. Janine Zakaria, lecturer at Stanford University and former Jerusalem Bureau Chief for the Washington Post. Stephen Erlinger, Chief Diplomatic Correspondent in Europe for the New York Times, reporting from Jerusalem. You, our listeners, are sharing how you are processing what is happening, how you have been affected by it all at 866-733-6786 at our email address forum at kqed.org and on our social channels at KQED Forum. More after the break. I'm Mina Kim. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking with Janine Zakaria of Stanford and Stephen Erlinger of the New York Times and with you, our listeners, about the latest in the Israel-Hamas war and how it's affecting communities across California. We're hearing your connections to the region, the questions or concerns that you have about what's happened or what's to come 
The email address is forum at kqed.org. The phone number 866-733-6786-866-733-6786. Lewis writes, it's a false equivalence for anyone to equate the barbarism of Hamas with the Israeli military efforts. Hamas has in its charter the destruction of Israel and has proven it is happy to target civilian life. Israel targets the Hamas military infrastructure, which includes the factories that build the thousands of rockets that are being fired at Israeli civilian populations. Many of these facilities are built in populated areas. Israel generally issues advance warning when it is feared civilians will be in the line of fire. Stephen writes, what Hamas did in Israel on Saturday is horrific and barbaric. What Israel is doing now in Gaza is just as bad, indiscriminate killing of civilians in numbers soon to be far greater than the number of Israelis killed, not to mention the denial of food, fuel, medicine, and water. Let me go to caller Ali in San Francisco. Ali, you're on. Good afternoon. Uh, just two quick points. Number one, as uh, disappointed, how disappointed we are as Palestinian Americans and the coverage all across uh, the American conflict, uh, CNN and Fox News were used to. We are particularly disappointed in NPR. Hmm. They are definitely yeah. presenting a one-sided story. Very few Palestinian voices are heard from Gaza and the West Bank. Uh, that's number one. Number two, the conflict or, or the media have presented the conflict as it just started Saturday morning, uh, disregarding the long history of suffering by the Palestinian people under the Israeli hands in the West Bank and Gaza and East Jerusalem. Uh, there should be a correction here that the conflict did not start Saturday about the attack of Hamas on Israel, that the conflict started seven years ago, ongoing, uh, with Palestinian bearing the brunt of the suffering and the murder and the killing and the home demolition and the imprisonment. All that seems to be lost uh, in a moment of sympathy w- with Israel. And we just have to put a check on that. Wow. And I just give you a quick example. Uh, with my niece in a village in Jerusalem, suffered a third-degree burn in an accident at home, not, 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 for, not from any conflict. And her parents were trying desperately to get her to a burn center the only birth center in the West Bank, and they were not allowed. So the four-year-old was suffering third-degree burn, and she was not allowed with her parents to go to the nearest birth center. That's the daily life of Palestinians in Gaza and the West Bank. All of that, all of that is lost in a moment of outpouring sympathy for Israel and the attack by Hamas. Well, Ali, I really appreciate your call, and I'm so sorry to hear about what happened to your niece, and I I do think that at least we are definitely not acting like this is a conflict that began on Saturday. Um, You know, Jeannie, one of the things that I was struck by was in your piece that you wrote for CNN recently, you talked about how, yes, in times of crisis, Israelis rally around their leaders, but that this time feels different. Why does it feel different? What What is making you say that? 
Well, what I wrote was that, you know, I've covered a lot of uh, times of tragedy that have plunged the country into collective grief, whether it be the assassination of a prime minister. Um, when I was in living in Jerusalem in the 90s through the series of suicide bombings that Stephen Erlanger mentioned earlier, the second Lebanon war, the second Intifada, all these things. And generally what happens in these situations is um, you have the Israeli media goes, uh, has people calling in and they'll say, Israel Chazak, you know, Israel is strong. We are together. We are with the IDF. And this time, um, as I was watching and monitoring, you just had just saw such raw, anguished anger at Netanyahu, um, at, at the IDF itself. Um, and it's not that all of Israel is not now rallying around the soldiers, in fact, trying to figure out how to outfit them with um, the right kind of gear right now to protect them as they go in for this ground invasion that I anticipate will begin soon. But it, it's just, you know, that the IDF and this leadership that, as we mentioned, has been people have been protesting since January, failed so completely to predict and then to, to rescue the people as they were under attack. So it's completely different. Um, we know this morning that uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu formed a national unity government um, yes. with the opposition. But I anticipate that Netanyahu, who's been on and off prime minister, the primary figure who was known as, you know, Ishpitachon, the man of security, um, will once this crisis settles down, and that may be a while, I don't I don't believe that he'll be able to continue to, to be prime minister any longer. Um, I do want to say in response to the caller that I think what's happening right now is that very often with these things is people, there's a battle for, for who, who is the bigger victim. And there is no doubt of the cost that the Israeli occupation of the Palestinians has had, um, how horrific it is um, to be living in Gaza right now and in the West Bank. And I think that to to condemn the barbaric savagery, the worst pogrom in the you know since the Holocaust against Jews, the way that you know babies have been murdered and things like that, is not to say that you are not sympathetic with the Palestinians and want to see an end to the occupation. I think we need to be able to hold those two thoughts in tandem. Stephen, can you talk about this? What feels like an impending ground? invasion, you know, why would the Israeli government feeling for a long time that it could sort of tolerate Hamas, it is saying now it must be basically wiped out. Stephen? Partly, it is what Janine so eloquently said. Um, This seems to many Israelis, like the pogroms they're grandparents and great-grandparents experience that caused them to seek shelter in Palestine in the first place. Um, And if the state of Israel, they believe, has any meaning, it is to protect its Jewish population. It is the homeland of the Jews. And if the state is incapable of doing that, one asks the question, what is it for? So part of what Israel thinks it must do is to show the rest of the Middle East that it is strong, 
that it is ruthless in defense of its citizens and their interests, that it is a fact of life in the Middle East, it will not be eradicated, and it will not be eliminated. In a way, it's the other side of what Hamas was trying to show, which is that the Palestinian question cannot be dismissed. It is a live question. Um, it is not answered, um, and it must be taken into account. So I think these are the motivations. Um, the result, I think, as I tried to say, could be, is already very, very, very painful. And Gaza itself, I've been in Gaza many times, as as um, Janine also has, particularly during times of conflict, um, it's very tightly packed. People talk about refugee camps. They're not camps, they're cities. Um, they're 2.3 million people, I think, as um, as Mr. Buhaisi said, and in a very small area of land. Um, and it is almost impossible to have a war there without hurting civilians. And of course, Hamas lives among civilians. It's it's like what Mao talked about. They live in the sea of the people. So you will, the Israelis, if they go in, will find soldiers who are actually in civilian dress who pop out of tunnels to shoot at them. They will find booby traps. They will find it very difficult in urban warfare to distinguish sometimes between combatants and non-combatants. Um, and I think part of what will happen, um, which always happens, is there will be an outcry from the international community I'm surprised we haven't had more of one yet um, that will bring pressure on Israel to halt its operations. When you listen to Israelis now, particularly officials, they would give you the impression they're not going to listen anymore, that they're going to do what they feel they simply need to do. Um, but uh, that's really not quite how the world works. I mean, the shock of 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 this these massacres has brought unity to a very divided Israel, and it has bought Israel, if I can put it that way, time, a certain amount of time, to to act in Gaza as it will. But that time is not unlimited. Yes, and there are broader implications, Janine, of the fact that as you're saying, you know, the frustration... Um, the anger toward Netanyahu and the IDF, like what implications does that have for something as horrific as a ground invasion? No, I mean, as let's draw a distinction that people are perplexed, horrified, angry, um, but they are not refusing the uh, the emergency call up from for you know Miloim mm -hmm. or their reserve duty. I know plenty of people here from the Bay Area, Israelis who have flown back now. Um, some on specially chartered flights to get back with their units. So yes. there, what I think what, you know, what Steve is saying is that many in Israel are, are going to be supportive of this um, ground invasion, but I don't know what happens. It's going to be an astronomical death toll on both sides. I'm concerned about what's, I'm keeping an eye on whether there's going to be international pressure on Egypt to open up a, a humanitarian corridor to get people out civilians out of Gaza. 
Um, it doesn't seem to be happening yet because, as has been mentioned, there is no place for the Palestinian civilians to go. Um, I think that, you know, what's different now is that the the these the way that Israel has tried to live beside Gaza, ruled by Hamas since 2007 is over. There's no way that Hamas can remain in control from the Israeli perspective of this territory. Now, whether that leads to an Israeli reoccupation of the Strip, given the number of casualties that the IDF is undoubtedly going to incur, I think in a perfect world they would try and reinstate Fatah or the PA, someone you know from Mahmoud Abbas, who's very weak in the West Bank as the leadership. These are the things we don't know right now. So the Israeli public is grieving, horrified, but there's no um, push to oust Netanyahu right now, and they will come together behind the ground offensive. Let me remind listeners, you are listening to Forum. I mean, Kim. And let me go to caller Mohan in Mountain View. Mohan, thanks for waiting. You're on. Yeah, hi, Nina. I think one thing that is not frequently talked about is the culture of hate in the Palestinian community against the Jews. The rhetoric that's widespread is that, you know, Jews should be murdered and it's a virtue to murder them and, you know, you become a martyr. And they teach this even to their children. And this is also widespread in the Arabic world. And uh, I think there's no chance for peace unless that kind of rhetoric is changed or squashed. Um, I, I can't really blame Israel for wanting to contain themselves because uh, there's so much hate. They're surrounded by hate on all sides. Mm-hmm. And I think that is, uh, that's a big issue that's uh, causing the conflict to continue. Well, let me go next to Diane in San Francisco. Diane, you're on. Hi, I just want to say that um, I'm of Jewish descent, and one of my best friends is Palestinian. And ever since I met her in 1986, and she started to try to tell me what happened to her descendants and ancestors in Palestine and how everybody was killed and taken from their houses, I've tried to understand. And only NPR is talking about both sides, and our government is funding killing innocent people in other countries, and the whole American public needs to understand that. The best that we can do is pray for and try for peace. Fighting is not going to work. Well, Diane, thanks for sharing your thoughts as well. Curtis writes, generations of Palestinians have lived in deplorable conditions and extreme poverty. What can Israel do to give the Palestinian people assurances that it's in their common interest to remove Hamas? Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on that, Stephen? Uh, it's Hamas is not popular in Gaza. I mean, Hamas runs Gaza because it won a civil war against the Palestinian Authority in the Strip in in two thousand and seven. Um, it controls the place pretty tightly. I mean, when people say, "Why don't the Palestinians just get rid of Hamas?" the question is, how are they going to do that? Frankly, there's not going to be an election. They don't have the training, the weapons, the support Hamas has. So maybe, you know, if if the Israeli army does it right and does what it promises to do, which is to dismantle Hamas's military capacity and even dismantle its leadership, then perhaps there is a possibility of something else. But you know, understand Hamas is also an idea, which is harder to crush. 
and Hamas's leadership, most of it's out of Gaza anyway. It's it's in Doha, and um, even its military commanders um, are likely to be deep underground or even in Egypt. So it's going to be a very difficult thing. But I mean, it's just too easy to say, why don't the Palestinians get rid of Hamas? It's just that's not the way that world works, I'm afraid. And Janine also wanted to see if you had any reaction to Curtis's question around the fact, can Israel do anything? Can Israel do anything to give Palestinian people assurances that it's in their common interest to remove Hamas? You know, this has been the fundamental effort of the blockade that that has been in place for the past pretty much most of the past 16 years, that if we just what the word they use in Hebrew is strangle the Gaza Strip, then the people of Gaza will rebel against Hamas because they are the cause of this blockade because Israel wants to prevent you know, rockets and being imported from Iran and, and the military equipment and things like that. And that has not worked. So the fundamental calculation, the security calculation of Israel is going to, it has to change here. That policy has not worked as they famously, uh, as an Israeli official famously told, um, you know, Stephen and my former colleague, Ethan Bronner, you, you know, 10 years ago, we, we go in and we quote, mow the grass it was a terrible analogy that, you know, we go in and we bomb Gaza and then we, you know, we go back to what we were doing. This, this is not going to be the case anymore. Um, but as Stephen and others have mentioned, it, it's just, it's not going to be easy to go in there and just remove Hamas, albeit unless they put, do a full on at least temporary reoccupation. Janine Zakaria. Janine Zakaria is a lecturer at Stanford University, former Jerusalem Bureau Chief and Middle East Correspondent for the Washington Post. Stephen Erlinger, Chief Diplomatic Correspondent in Europe for the New York Times, reporting from Jerusalem. My thanks to both of you. My thanks also to Manu Yucatil and also Wael Buhazi for joining us as well and for our listeners for sharing their experiences. Your insights, Janine and Stephen, have been so vital. But as we all know, so many of us are connected. And I just want to wish all of you the safety of your families and friends who are in the region and for yourselves. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. This is Barbara Leslie, president of the Oakland Port Commission. Oakland International Airport, OAK, is proud to bring you this podcast of KQED's Forum. When you're choosing your next adventure, the smart and convenient choice is to fly the East Bay Way from OAK to destinations across the USA and Mexico. And when you return home, tune in to KQED, always bringing us remarkable stories about who we are and where we live. Enjoy today's episode of Forum. I'm what you might call very good at hide-and-seek. And since we got Xfinity, we have Wi-Fi all over the house, even in my super-secret hiding spots. So I can kill time in here by streaming my favorite... Ha! Found ya. How? You left to find my tablet on. Get wall-to-wall Wi-Fi on the Xfinity 10G network. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Hey, John Favreau here. There's no shortage of political takes in 2024, but quantity doesn't cut it. We need a better conversation about the latest biggest election of our lives. On Pod Save America, me and my co-host cut through the noise to help you figure out what matters and how you can help. 
Every Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday, Pod Save America is breaking down the political news that makes us laugh, cry, and snap our laptops in half. Expensive year for laptops. Make sure to check out new episodes of Pod Save America on your favorite podcast platform or our YouTube channel now.